happy Thanksgiving. And welcome again to St. Paul's for everyone who is with us this morning. If you'd like to follow along with this passage in your Bible or your app on your phone or the Pew Bible in front of you, you can find it at Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, or on page 46. And now let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As Jesus sets out on his day's journey, surrounded by his friends laughing and chatting, they are suddenly interrupted by a man who runs up to him and falls on his knees before him. Good teacher, the man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man has been waiting for this moment to ask this question of this rabbi. It's been niggling at him. The feeling that despite all his accomplishments, despite being a good person, despite all he's done with his life and all that he has to call his own, there's still something missing. Something he hasn't quite grasped. And now is his chance. He's face to face with the rabbi called Jesus. The one they've been talking about in the marketplace. The rabbi looks at him. Why do you call me good? He asks. It's a fair question. The man meant it as an honorific, a nice title of respect. But the simplicity of the question and Jesus' accompanying comment, no one is good but God alone, makes the man think that perhaps this conversation isn't going to go the way he expects. After all, he's always considered himself a pretty good person. As if reading his thoughts, the rabbi continues. You know the commandments, he says, and lists them. Those laws which separate the good Israelites from the bad. Yes, yes, the man replies, I know them all. I've kept them all. He notices, but he doesn't mention that Jesus has only listed half the commandments. The ones that have to do with loving your neighbor. And he said nothing about the ones relating to God. But the man is relieved. He's pretty good at obeying the law, but he's on more comfortable ground with the neighbor commandments than the others, the ones to do with loving God. So far, so good. He looks up into the rabbi's face eagerly, hoping to see his approval, to be told to go on his way and do what he's continued doing what he's doing. But to his surprise, he sees something different. He sees Jesus, this prophet, this infamous man who has the whole countryside stirred up. And Jesus is looking at him as if he knows him inside and out, as if he loves him. In fact, the man hasn't seen that profound an expression of love towards him ever. His breath catches. He suddenly really, really wants to know what the rabbi is going to say next. And then the statement comes, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. It feels like a knife slicing through his insides. There's no room for compromise on that loving face. There's no sign that Jesus is exaggerating or joking. 
He means it. The man feels his heart sinking, a heavy weight inside his chest. He thinks of his comfortable house, all his assets, his food and his servants and his livestock. He sees the disciples behind Jesus, dressed in shabbier clothing, calluses on their hands and feet, their meager possessions. He sees, too, the light in their eyes and the joy on their faces as they watch their master and listen to his words. He hungers for that feeling of assurance, the knowledge that they have made the right choice, the courage that they have showed in giving everything up. But surely they didn't have as much as he did to begin with. Surely that wasn't as much of a change in their situation to give it all up and follow this rabbi. Surely Jesus doesn't know what he is asking of him. He looks again into that face. The face of the man he's been waiting to meet for so long. The one he's been longing to ask this question of for so long. Jesus is waiting. His eyes are hopeful and bright and inviting. But there's a sorrow in them as well, as if he knows exactly what the man is thinking. The man drops his eyes. I, look, maybe now is not the right time for this, he says. I'm just about to buy that new property, and if the deal falls through, it will hurt my whole portfolio. You understand. He doesn't look up. He has a feeling he knows what will be in those eyes that see right through him. Shuffling to his feet, he bows his head awkwardly and turns away, not looking at the disciples behind Jesus. He can't bear to see the scorn and the contempt that must be on their faces. But they can't understand. What did they give up to follow this man? A fishing boat? He could purchase a whole fleet of them. He walks away quickly eager to get out of, their, out of sight of their eyes resting on his back. He thinks of the beautiful home he's going to. He'll have his servants prepare his favorite food, and he'll call for music and dancing. He needs to shake off this encounter that has been so unsettling, so disturbing. But tomorrow, he'll go to the temple, and he'll give an extra-large donation in honor of this rabbi Jesus and his loving eyes. And maybe that will be enough. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This Thanksgiving Sunday, we find ourselves in the middle of a teaching series called This is Jesus, in which we take a close look at who Jesus is and what he is calling us to. Over the past few weeks, we've heard both some really hard things and some really good news. We've been told about the eternal significance of our actions and the severity of our brokenness. We've heard again and again that following Jesus means taking up our crosses and suffering with him. But we've also been told about the glorious grace and the goodness of God and how profoundly he loves us. This morning's story continues that theme. 
Jesus is interrupted on his journey by this young man who we are told has many possessions. But he seems to be looking for some kind of assurance that he's on the right track, that the way he's li living his life is going to lead to a good place. So he brings that concern to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, is the way I'm living good enough? There's a popular TV show on Netflix called The Good Place. Maybe some of you have seen it. It explores the question of what happens after we die and what it takes to get into the good place, or as the rich young man put it, to inherit eternal life. In the show, humans are assigned points based on how good they are in their life. If their points are high enough, they get into the good place. Everyone else gets sent to the bad place. It's quite a fun and humorous exploration of what the afterlife might be like and who gets to go there. Well, the young man in our story is asking the same question as that TV show. How good do I need to be in order to get into the good place? But Jesus' answer to the young man breaks the paradigm. Instead of reassuring him that yes, he's been good enough or no, he needs to just do a little more commandment following, he tells him that he's still missing something. That all the morality points in the world aren't going to get him into the good place without this one thing. And this one thing is the hardest and the easiest thing in the world. It's to put Jesus first to open our hands and to offer him what is most dear to our hearts, to clear away and get rid of anything that comes between us and God and to love him most. For this young man, and as Jesus points out, for rich people everywhere, the thing that comes between him and Jesus is his wealth. Jesus talks more about money than almost anything else, including love, because he knows that this is the most dangerous thing to our spiritual well-being. The way we have, and I include myself here, the way we have of trusting in our possessions to protect us, to comfort us, to keep us safe and happy, or even to distract us, all of this can so easily become a barrier between us and God. Any possessions at all carry that risk. And the more we have, the harder it becomes to notice that our possessions have become what we rely on for our status or our protection or our reputation or comfort. That our hearts are slowly becoming divided and distracted. You cannot love God and money. And so Jesus offers this young man and all of us a challenge. Open our hands on all of it and put him first. And yes, this may require physically letting go. If through prayer and discernment, we hear Jesus telling us the same thing that he told that young man. And each of us has to pray and discern through that ourselves. This is a hard teaching and a hard story but I have good news. We always have good news. Jesus doesn't ask of us what he can't provide for us. And what I mean is this. What Jesus demands here is in his own words, impossible. 
Theologian John Calvin once said, the human heart is an idol factory. We are always in the business of making idols, of putting things, anything between ourselves and God. And we have been ever since Eve decided that it was a good idea to eat some forbidden fruit. And the disciples knew this, they saw it. They exclaimed, who then can be saved? Well, the answer is no one, not this way. We cannot save ourselves, not by being good people, not by giving away everything we own. We are helpless to save ourselves, to get ourselves into the good place with our own actions. And that's the whole point. Jesus came to do all that work for us. He was the morally perfect one. He was the one who bore our imperfections and sin so that we could be seen as perfect in God's eyes. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians says that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He gave up everything so that we through his poverty might become rich. We have been given everything in Christ, everything we need to live our lives in him, to hear what he says and to obey him and to follow him. The good place starts for us here and now as we take this step of choosing to follow Jesus and trusting in his provision. And it is in following Jesus, it's in kneeling before him and looking up into his loving eyes, looking at us, knowing that he gave everything for us, that we can find the strength to open our hands to on what we love and offer it to him in return. Let's pray. Take, Lord, receive all our liberty, our memory, our understanding, our whole will, all that we have and all that we possess. You gave it all to us, Lord. We give it all back to you. Do with it as you will, according to your good pleasure. Give us your love and your grace, for with this we have all that we need. Amen.